Welcome to the Building BN Podcast, where we take an inside look at Bloomington Normal economic development with industry pros, local businesses, and community partners. Hosted by your BNEDC. So welcome to Building BN, and this is our 14th episode, uh, which is pretty cool. And today we have a big guest, actually one of the biggest guests in town. No pressure, <laughs> uh, but we're going to take a look, uh, pun intended, under the hood here at State Farm and one of their uh, research facilities, which I've driven by and had no clue that's what this is. Uh, but awesome topic, so we're looking forward to jumping into this. But today our guests, we have uh, Ryan Gamelgard, who's also an EDC board member, and then John Hull. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. Awesome. And uh, Nick, as always, is working the uh, computer for us to make sure everything sounds perfect. So if you guys have any complaints, uh, listeners out there, you can shoot those to Nick. <laughs> I won't listen to him anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other, the other side of it. Nick has final edit, so <laughs> it only goes out. Um, so uh, the center itself, um, just talk about, actually, let's not go with the center. Let's talk about your background and how you got involved with State Farm. So we'll start with Ryan. Yeah, so I've been with State Farm for coming up on seven years now. Um, I'm actually from Bloomington, so I'm a townie. Nice. Uh, my goal was to get out of Bloomington, uh, <laughs> going to law school. But, you know, I ended up at the University of Illinois, uh, married somebody from from here. Um, and actually, now that I'm a parent, really appreciate how great this community is and how easy it is to juggle work uh, in life and, and do some really cool things, too. Um, so, yeah, before that, I uh, was in private practice um, at Livingston Barger here in town and then also worked at the Illinois Farm Bureau Country Financial in their legal department for a few years um, and had an opportunity to work on some insurance issues, but also some innovation relation, related issues with agriculture like wind farms and, and, and things like that. So job opened up at State Farm that really focused on public policy issues. And I've been very fortunate to be able to work on things like automated vehicles, drones, blockchain. Um, and through that public policy work, uh, because State Farm has a very, very loud voice in that in that space, I've had an opportunity to get to work with John and his team here to kind of apply the practical into the theoretical. And it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. And Patrick, to your point, it's things you just don't realize are occurring here in Bloomington right. that are happening. Mm -hmm. Some of the things we take for granted. How about you, John? How did you get involved with State Farm? Yeah, so um, I'm actually a, a product of Illinois State University. So right. uh, I grew up in Chicagoland area, came to ISU uh, with a good majority of my graduating class. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, out of school, I got a job with a company uh, called Accenture, a uh, technology consulting company. And my first gig was, surprisingly, back in Bloomington. So I <laughs> uh, came back to Bloomington, uh, worked in our, our claims handling department as a consultant for about four years. And then at that point, uh, you know, kind of like Ryan mentioned, I, I met my now wife. Uh, she was a, a senior at ISU at the time. So uh Wanted to stick around town. State Farm extended an offer for me to become an internal associate. So uh, accepted the offer. My wife is a teacher here in town, and now we've planted roots and been here. I've been in with State Farm about 11 years. Awesome. Um, the transition over to my current role was kind of unconventional from what I've heard, but <laughs> my background is, is IT. So I had a computer science degree from Illinois State. Um, did the IT thing for, for uh, State Farm for the last 10 years and then about the last year or so I've, I've been in this position as a research manager here, um, which to me was the drive to, to make that switch was to Ryan's point, the innovation, 
Yeah. So we've had these right. innovation teams here at State Farm forever. And I love technology. I love being an early adopter of technology. So it's just been super interesting to me uh, my whole life. And combine that with vehicles, which I'm, I'm super into <laughs> as well. Uh, this has been like the kind of the, the perfect opportunity. And it's been super fun. That's great. Well, I think it also points out that, you know, you guys have uh, different backgrounds when it comes to your education. I don't know if everyone realizes because you're State Farm, you know, and so you think about the industry. And so some of the data that we look at is a different between industry data and then occupation data. So the amount of occupations that are over there are huge. And your prime examples to be partnering on a project like this, that's all around innovation, even though you've got the IT degree, which really goes with it. And then you've got the legal degree, um, but it all goes runs hand in hand. Yeah. And, and to that point, too, you know, you, you met a couple of the, the gentlemen out in the garage. Their backgrounds are just as diverse, which is really fascinating to see some of the vocational skills coming in and seeing how that's applied in, in the research lab here as well. And, and to your point, it's just the diversity of, of thought um, really makes it all work. And that's yeah. really where innovation comes from. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, you know, from my perspective, too, it's as you travel around the country, um, you know, and, and, and work on different public policy issues, you know, you interact with other people in the industry and you start to realize really quickly how most other insurance companies don't have these resources, right? In, in, you know, they don't have the vehicle research facility. They don't have some of the, the innovation related, you know, directives or initiatives going on. And you start to realize how fortunate we are here at State Farm to have all those resources. And then from a legal perspective, it's, you know, I work at a, you know, a legal department that has close to 200 attorneys here, I think, in town. I mean, that's a major law firm. Yeah. And you just, again, you kind of drive by corporate headquarters. And you never think, hey, there's a pretty much the equivalent of a large law firm that, mm -hmm. that's there. But you can think about all the different work that goes on there. I mean, it's, you know, every day I've, I've never been bored at State Farm, which is after seven years, a pretty crazy thing. Yeah. To say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned um, that a lot of other state or insurance companies don't have the opportunity to have facilities like the vehicle research facility. So what led State Farm to create that. Yeah. So, uh, I would say, I don't want to sound overly cheesy, but customers, uh, it sure. really came down to our customers. Uh, so, uh, what's best for their experiences in the claim process is, is really kind of a lot of the work that we do here. So we look at the repairability of vehicles, trying to understand what goes into that, what's appropriate, what do those repair procedures look like, uh, all at the benefit of the customer. So trying to make sure that that's as seamless as possible, as quick as possible, um, take some of the confusion, some of the frustration out of the process. Uh, that's really what this facility was, was created to help do is, is to drive clarity around that repair process all for the benefit of the customers. Um, you know, in the process, though, it's it's merged and in, in, uh, not merged, I'm sorry, it's transitioned and, and evolved over time. Um, so instead of looking at traditional vehicle repairs for, for all aspects of the work done here, it's now starting to bring in some of the, the technology um, that we kind of saw as we were doing the tours here. But, mm -hmm. you know, we're starting to get into some of the connected vehicle environments, some of the advanced driver assistance systems, um, autonomous vehicles. You know, obviously we can't go without mentioning that technology, um, but there there is work going on here where we're starting to understand, you know, what are the different sensor technologies? How do those vehicles operate? Um, what do they do as they interact with pedestrians or with each other or infrastructure? And so those are the types of topics that we're starting to dive into as, as vehicles and the technology keep evolving. I feel like we could do a podcast on like every single one of like you're, you're fine. Like I, Brian said blockchain earlier. I'm like, Oh, can we get into that? This is not blockchain day. <laughs> right. But we're definitely talking about uh, some of the innovation and Ryan and I are on a, a smart city initiative that's here in town. And that's where, you know, I won't, I don't want to say traditionally, but whenever 
economic development started getting more technical and I started saying smart city it was really about monitoring like trash cans and how full they were up in Chicago or even some of the smart street lighting which that's still an aspect of it but like during the tour there's a Tesla out there and so Tesla is recording so much information even with Rivian here in town same thing and eventually what I'm understanding is that that's going to start going towards um so my question out there was you know how much of that data do you guys have access to um and how much of that plays a part into I guess the repairs going forward yeah, so uh, there's a couple of things. So let me let me kind of even try to unpack that a little bit. So one thing that I'll bring up too is our engagement with with uh, University of Michigan, uh, a group called M City. So Motor City is is what the group is called up in, in University of Michigan. We've been part of that for a while, but I bring that up because uh, we've been engaged in a number of tests and, and research initiatives up there that's talking about connectivity. So to your point around streetlights, pedestrian interactions, crosswalks, vehicle to vehicle, um, trying to understand what's the technology that enables that type of cross communication but then to your point patrick it's like what's the data what what can we glean from that data what kind of insights analytics can we apply that really all in the vein of trying to make these technologies not only evolve but also from a safety aspect because yes. that's a big concern of what we talk about here in, in at state farm is what's the safety implications of some of this stuff what are the standards what are the, the metrics what does the data show us that ultimately drives to adoption but at a safe, safe level of adoption, right? So um, the amount of data we can get is, is actually kind of mind boggling, but it all varies based on what's the technology, who owns the technology, what do you have to pay to get access to some of the data? Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of always an interesting situation in, in data. Data is gold, right? Everyone yes. talks about data access is, is really ultimately where it's at. And, um, you know, one of the things that Ryan and I kind of talk about on a regular basis is, what is that data? What do we need to collect? What do we need to be able to uh, get out of that data? How do we analyze that data to ultimately get uh, some assurance around safety, safety and uh, safety metric standards? But then how do we use that to, to understand risk, um, which is really, a, you know, that, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. So and, oh, go ahead. As, as the technology and the data portions of this industry continue to grow and, and develop, um, I'm curious to how that plays into your relationships with some of the vehicle manufacturers. And, you know, are you, are you guys communicating that data or are you guys you know, working with them to, you know, enhance their, their vehicles? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, in specifics to on the, the, the cars on the road today, I'll talk about that a little bit first. Uh, so we definitely have uh, strong relationships with some of the manufacturers, uh, if not all the manufacturers, essentially, uh, just based on our size and, and the customers that we have as our base and the variety of vehicles. So uh, a lot of a lot of communication back and forth with the manufacturers really around, uh, as I kind of mentioned earlier, the repair aspects and then the processes that go into those repairs. But then uh, trying to understand, you know, uh, EDR, electronic data recorder data and, and what is available there, how you do accident reconstruction investigations and, and whatnot so i'll say there's some some conversations around that a lot of that's regulated though um you know yeah you want to talk about yeah, well yeah <laughs> that, that's um yeah and that's and that's where the legal and the public policy side comes into play because uh, you know we have relationships with manufacturers now and we look at what clip vehicle information is collected if there's a crash today but there's big questions about what does that look like when vehicles start to become more automated mm -hmm. and how do you kind of detangle the proprietary data and information that's helping make that vehicle drive itself uh, versus crash related data that not just insurance companies, but law enforcement, other stakeholders should get be able to be access to, to figure out what happened if there is a crash. Now that's a huge public policy issue. Um, and it's, it's, it, and this is where I think, you know, where we kind of work really, really closely together. It's as we look to, to change laws or maybe introduce laws or, or lobby on a, a specific issue, 
we're working directly with our partners here at the vehicle research facility to help inform well, what does that look like? What are the data variables that are relevant to determining what happens if there is a crash mm-hmm. involving an automated vehicle? And, and to me, that's the thing that gives us the edge when we talk about these issues. It's it's me and others who are able to kind of actually speak with practical information and, and you know real data based on some of the research that happens here. And, and that's a pretty powerful thing. Um, but you can also see that you know, there is, there is a, a pretty big tug of war going on right now between what does data access and data look like in, in that future state. And again, not to, not to kind of, you know, keep on revisiting this issue, but, you know, State Farm is really kind of taking the lead on that from a public policy perspective. And, and I always find it fascinating to think all this stuff is happening here, right, right in Bloomington. You know, mm-hmm. we're really kind of researching this out and helping inform the dialogue, not just here in Illinois, but all across the country. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty cool position to be in. Hey listeners, it's Nick Duffel here, project manager with your BNEDC with your side of the week. Today's episode features 16 acres at East College Avenue in Bloomington. Surrounded by retail and offices, this site is perfectly situated for a growing business looking for easy access and high visibility. For more information, see our show notes or email me, nick at bnbiz.org. The big key takeaway, I think, outside of, you know, making the vehicle perform better, but the safety side, too. So public policy um, is one thing to have it at a state level, at a local level. We're even talking about local infrastructure now. Like, how can we change, you know, our community to make it safer for vehicles and pedestrians um, as well? So I don't know, Ryan, if that's something you can touch on with the um, uh, Vision Zero, which actually have another follow-up podcast coming up on that as well. <laughs> Yeah, and Patrick, that's a great example of, of kind of helping influence things at a local level. Um, so the Vision Zero program that's going on in McLean County is really trying to build out this, um, you know, zero fatality or, se- or zero serious uh, vehicle incidents by the year, I think, 2030, so mm-hmm. 10 years from now. That was a pretty ambitious goal, and mm-hmm. it's aspirational. Aspiration, yeah. uh, but at the same time, you know, it really kind of sets the the, the kind of groundwork for how do we better in, incorporate technology into the community? And, and Patrick and I are a working group that, that look on tech issues. And one of the, the things that we've been able to do from a state farm side of things is take some of the research that we've done at M-City, for example, um, some of the different reports that we work on with some of our other, other groups like Governor Highway Safety Association, and you know, provide that information to the larger Vision Zero program that's going on here to really start to think about things from a data-driven perspective. Mm-hmm. It's instead of, you know, going into those discussions and coming up with a lot of crazy ideas about how to, you know, get zero fatalities in 10 years, it's, hey, look, we have the ability to research this. We've put together some different reports. Uh, now let's take a look at that and figure out the best way of going. And then also, I think equally importantly, is recognizing that if somebody starts talking about automated vehicles being all over the place in 10 years, we can say, look, Actually, the trend lines look like this, right? Or the technology is developing this way. And so let's kind of pull back and be more realistic about what this looks like. And I think that's helping inform the process. And again, when you know we're working on some of that Vision Zero stuff, I kind of view it as, you know, I'm, I'm almost the mouthpiece for all the other work that's going on at State Farm. And it's, a, again, a pretty cool position to be in. Yeah, one, one thing I'll add to that, too, that's really interesting, and, and it speaks again to some of the research we do here. You know, we talk about the technology, which is systems and ones and zeros running through everything. One of the big facets that we really explore here, though, is the human side of that. Uh, so we have a whole group within our research space here uh, in Bloomington, too, that looks at, like, human factors. Hmm. So 
you know, a vehicle could be tuned to perform so much, but at the same time, a, a human is always involved in that. So, right. you know, you talk about the infrastructure here in Bloomington. I could have an AV program to do something fantastic as far as going in the roundabout and uptown normal as an example or, or driving through downtown Bloomington. But what's going to stop someone from jumping out in front of a car <laughs> or scooters driving down sidewalks yeah. and things like that. So, you know, at some point, especially on the AV space, it's going to be a long time before a human is completely out of the equation of that vehicle driving. So uh, we try to understand what's that human interaction look like? How are they part of that equation? Uh, we are fantastic at making some interesting decisions right? that, <laughs> yeah. that unfortunately leads to the detriment of an accident. Right. Sure. So I think 95% of, of, of accidents are actually human error. So, um, you know, you really have to take that into consideration when you talk about what does an infrastructure look like? What, what, how do you put in protocols that really help change human behavior? Mm-hmm. And that's just extremely difficult. You know, sure. to Ryan's point, we've done so many studies uh, around e-scooters specifically as of late of looking at, you know, what are those mannerisms of people on those e-scooters? What, you know, the, the ADAS technology I mentioned earlier, automated driving assistance systems that's on a number of carts a day. Why do people turn those off? You know, why do, why, why do they operate this way on a highway versus operating this way on the street? So I, all those things really kind of factor into um, influencing the human behaviors, but then also how do you build that infrastructure to, to drive those right mannerisms? I think it was something that was uh, we discussed actually during the tour. Um, one of the reasons that Bloomington does a prime spot. I mean, outside of the four seasons, it just seems like a good testing ground with all the different areas in town. It, it really is. I mean, we've we've had that conversation with on our, our research department around you, you talk about, you know, the, the different design. They're called operational design domains is what we call them, where it's like, you know, we have urban, we have rural, we have the universities, we have pedestrians, bikes, uh, you name it. And then you brought up the four seasons here, which is actually a huge factor in some of that. You know, a lot of the testing that happens with those advanced technologies are down in southwest states where the weather is sunny and <laughs> and uh, perfect and, and no snow. Right. But as you start talking talking about what those technologies look like in the real world. Mm -hmm. Uh, This area, I think, is a really prime candidate to start doing some of that testing. And and we've been really interested in in looking at opportunities like that. So you teased, um, I don't know if I'm going to call it teased, but the whole uh, driverless car, like 10 years out. Can you guys make a guesstimate as far as like how far away that actually is? Yeah, November 7th, (laughs) 2038. Um, (laughs) No, uh, you know, I look, I, I think the way that we approach this is, is quite frankly, the right way. Um, if you go back, you know, two or three years ago, even uh, there is there is a lot of concern in the insurance industry about you're going to have, you know, 90 percent of automated vehicles or fully automated vehicles on the road within 10 years. And there's not going to be any crashes. And then there's no need for insurance. And and so you'd see a lot of insurance companies kind of like take this sky is falling approach and. You know, I think State Farm, one of the other great things about it is we've been around a long time, right? And so you've learned from other, you know, kind of disruptions or innovations that have impacted our business. And because of the research that we were doing, I think we were able to step back and say, you know, okay, this is not going to happen in (laughs) five or 10 years. More realistically, what you're going to see is technology that's currently on vehicles like driver lane assist, you know, braking issues or or braking systems, uh, things like that. And so instead of looking at this as a threat and instead of kind of creating an artificial timeline saying, okay, we need to be prepared by this specific date, you know, to push the eject button or whatever you want to call it. it, Instead it was, okay, let's take all the information that we know and approach automated vehicles in all mobility and transportation issues as an opportunity. 
Um, and that led then to the creation of some different work streams that go on at State Farm that focus on different things related to mobility and transportation in the future state. And so, and again, and I can't stress this enough, instead of viewing things as a threat, it's are there opportunities there? Does the technology actually make it safer for our policyholders in the general public? If it does, then we're going to be supportive of that technology. And we're also going to have faith that there's going to be opportunities to help our customers navigate that world, whether it's through new insurance products or, or maybe even some other new service uh, related to that. So, again, you know, we don't get too much we don't get too focused and fixated on specific dates. And instead, it's just recognizing what is the technology that's actually there today and mm -hmm. understanding how there will continue to be an evolution of it. It's certainly something you have to think about. I mean, and, and you know, what are the goods or, good, or what are the good? What's the, the potential negatives from that? Um, and we want to make sure that as public policy evolves, that it really continues to focus on the safety aspect. You know, we don't rush in to put all these highly automated vehicles on the road and, until you can actually prove out that they're safe. That's the stuff that we're focused on. Sure. Nice. I'm not too familiar with, you know, automated vehicles and the policy and the timelines and, and all the data that goes behind it. But I think one con concern that may, that may be on the broader marketplace is the accessibility to some of that technology. And so I think as that technology continues to grow and people start to incorporate that in their everyday lives, will everybody have access to that? And so I think by the time that everyone does have access to that, I, I would imagine that would be years out. Yeah, I mean, what, what is it, John? Like the average lifespan of a vehicle is like 12 years. Yeah, 11.8, like yep. 11.8, yeah. 11. Wow. 8, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a while before any fleet. So let's just assume that like tomorrow, every vehicle that comes out of an assembly line is fully automated. It's still going to be a long time before everything flips over mm -hmm. and, and the fleet entire fleet changes. Um, but but I, I, I think we kind of envision more of a future where there's going to be different packages of technology. There's going to be different ways to use it. Um, you know, some people might want the Tesla. Um, you know, some people might want the Jeep that mm -hmm. is, you know, kind of just a hands-on experience that's not fully teched out. And I think we really want to prepare for that future where there's a lot of different options right. uh, because I think that's more reflective of reality. But at the same time, Nick, I mean, it's amazing when you think about <clears throat> my first car was a 1984 Ford Ranger pickup truck um, that you really kind of fixed yourself. <laughs> I mean, it was possible to do that. <laughs> Go to the junkyard, get a new door. I mean, it, it was kind of crazy when you think back on how that wasn't that long ago. Mm -hmm. And yet you could really still do things to your own car. Whereas now I would never touch some of the tech that's on my car. And, and that's just becoming more and more commonplace. So, you know, there's a trickle down effect and, and eventually you're going to get to where most of the vehicles on the road, either through legislation or just because customers expect it, will have more and more safety features on them. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't think it'll ever go away because like one of our most popular products here in town, Hidden Gym, is Max Lighter. So they're building <laughs> those Broncos from the ground up like the old Broncos. And so people and the Jeeps, like people are always going to want to have, like you said, that hands on experience. So then you're mixing the autonomous cars with the Jeeps that are still out there. And that's almost where the smart cities really need to start paying attention, especially with the pedestrians, college kids, mm. you know, as far as, you know, what, what's the best way to have all those worlds combined, which is data. And I think um, what you guys have an advantage of because of your scale is um, almost the convergent thinking. So like, as you're designing it, as you're an engineer, you're creating the vehicle, you have this mindset of here's what I think is going to work. You guys have the data to know what works. So it's really cool if you could talk a little bit about how that kind of goes back to help some of your partners maybe design better products. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, I will say that, well, let me just start out. We're pretty guarded about our data. So, yeah, you know, yeah, kind of yeah. in my statement earlier where, where data is gold, it, it really is. And so what we try to do is try to find a really good balance of what can we use to, to stay competitive, which, you know, makes sense. And, and still to the, the benefit of our customers, the more competitive we can be, the better prices can be. Right. right so, sure, right. Uh, you know, that, that's an interesting kind of twist on all of it. But then uh, to your point, we, we do actually provide some data back to uh outside entities. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with IHS, so the Institute for, or the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety hmm. uh, and the Highway Loss Data Institute are, are kind of sister companies. Um, they actually do extensive research. Uh, they're the ones who give you your IHS top safety picks and things like okay, that. Yeah. So crash test worthiness. And um, they actually do extensive research using data from all their member insurance companies. And so what they do with some of that data, uh, and State Farm is obviously a huge contributor of that being the largest auto insurer in, in North America. Um, you know, we provide all that data to them and, and they do a lot of uh, industry level research and then work back with the manufacturers to talk about how do these systems perform? What does that crash worthiness look like? Um, and a lot of that is driven by the claim data that we provide or the policy information. Um, and that really helps then influence higher standards, better safety. Um, and, and that's kind of, I'll say, probably one of our bigger opportunities to help influence safety because the interesting part of that too is, State Farm releases some of that information. It's almost kind of like people are looking at it as like, well, well, you're doing this for your own interest, where really we're not. We're, we're, we're trying to help influence the industry and make everyone safer, the betterment of society. Um, so if you get independent research firms like IHS and Hildy doing some of that work where we're major contributors through our data assets, right. um, they actually do a really, really good job of helping to influence the manufacturers and making some of those decisions and design changes. Nice. Yeah. So it's uh, not for personal game. It's just being a good neighbor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Zing had to work that in. I there. bend that one out. I'll yeah. get it <laughs> I, I almost wore a red polo and khakis in here just because I didn't know if that was a standard uniform. Hey, listeners, it's Amber Wolfley, Business Retention and Expansion Manager at your BNEDC. Are you interested in beginning your career at State Farm? As of today, there are nearly 20 jobs listed on their website. For more information or to apply today, visit statefarm.com under careers and see why BN was voted a top most livable city in the nation. So, John, we're at the, the vehicle research facility, and I, and you, you just mentioned earlier, too, that there's another facility on the other side of town that a lot of people are curious about. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So uh, actually, it's on the, the kind of the south side of, of Bloomington. Um, I don't know if people are driving down Hamilton, but if you drive down Hamilton Road, uh, you'll pass by a State Farm facility. And there's what looks like a bunch of little dog houses in the back <laughs> of the building. Well, that's actually uh, our, our building technology research lab. And so uh, another lab where similar to what we do here at the VRF, we're trying to look at uh, code standards, building resiliency, um, all for the betterment. And again, of society trying to understand, hey, hurricanes are coming around. We've got hail coming in. We've got, uh, you know, winds, the big derecho that came through, you know, a couple months ago. Uh, what we do there at that lab is trying to understand how do we improve building resiliency? How do we improve code standards um, to make sure that homes are safer for people and, and able to withstand some of those perils? So if you drive by there and like, what are all those little dog houses? <laughs> those are actually our, our roofs in the back that we're trying to age and weather and try to understand what happens with your roof over, you know, 
extended periods of time. Uh, so uh, that's another kind of interesting little facility that we have going on over there. But, uh, you know, you look at that and, and ties back to the community again. I mean, the engineering that goes in there with U University of Illinois and the big engineering school over there, um, you know, allows us an opportunity to kind of do some work with them. Um, you know, Wesleyan and Illinois State, we've had some conversations with them about various research aspects in that space as well. So it's it's a really cool facility that we do all kinds of cool experiments. That's like our, our myth busters of State Farm facility yeah. over there. So if you guys are ever interested in, in checking that one out, that one's really fun. We yeah. have to do a follow up episode over there just to see because all I'm picturing right now is like some really high powered uh, leaf blowers out there <laughs> testing out uh, shingles. So, you know, funny <laughs> enough, we have our two by four cannon. So we oh. have a uh, cannon you can load a two by four into and Holy we use that damn. to shoot through, wow. you know, walls and windows to test impact resistant siding and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's the that's the cool, the cool one. Yeah. Field trip. <laughs> yeah. I'll see you there next week. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. I mean, this is a, this is an awesome facility. Like I said, something that, you know, we always drive by the big box, yeah. you know, on veterans. So like there's everybody. And like I said, that's the, the industry, but the, the impact on this community is so large and um, just getting like your story on what's going on here, but also like why Bloomington normal, you know, it's like you were here, you came back, you're a townie, you, you wanted <laughs> to get away, came back. Those are the stories you want. And I think the commonality there is you both got married and settled down. So maybe that's <laughs> something we need to look into. So don't get married. That's what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like our campaign is to get people to get married. Then get married and come to Bloomington. Come to Bloomington, yeah, because like we did just uh, last Thursday, got ranked happiest place in America um, based off of the, the amount of income you can make here compared to your disposable income, and a lot of it had to do with marriage rates too. Yeah, that was part of the yep. data. Interesting. So very cool. And wasn't it also like time it takes to drive to work? Yes. I mean, it's, it's it, you know I think about that this matters. all the time. It's you know, five minutes to get from my house to, to, you know, work. Yep. That's crazy. And then you talk to your friends who are like, yeah, it took me 45 minutes, mm -hmm. you know, get to get from the suburbs to downtown or whatever. And, and you start to add that out or multiply that over your working life. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it's crazy to think how much time people are spending in their cars in some of the bigger cities. Um, but yeah, you know, also Patrick, to, to, to your point about coming here, I actually think about this a lot. You know, I, I talked to my friends from law school and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what are you working on? What are you doing? And they'll say things like, oh, we, you know, we're watching drones fly around and crash into <laughs> crash test dummies or, you know, automated vehicles run around M-City. And then they're like, uh, really? Like, you know, <laughs> that, that doesn't happen. It's Bloomington, right? Or, or State Farm. I mean, I, I just think that there's so many incredible things happening here that when you start to peel away the layers and, and, and figure out what actually is going on, it's pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. And when you kind of combine that with quality of life um, and, and just kind of being able to, you know, better balance those two, I mean, it's a really ideal situation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, to Ryan's point, the, you know, growing up in the Chicagoland area, I go up there now and I get frustrated because it takes me you know, <laughs> 20 minutes to go five miles. Uh, you know, it's fantastic. I think living here, you know, I think one of the things that's been interesting being here since what, 99 now, basically, uh, the evolution of the town. I mean, it, I feel like we've gone from like this small town, which was my opinion back in 99, uh, to, to now having just about everything that you really need to, to have such, to your point, it, it's fantastic here. It really yeah. is. Um, between the kids activities and, uh, you know, just the, the businesses that are here in town. Um, you know, I think we, we mentioned earlier eating out. I mean, there's amazing restaurants yeah. in town. So, yes. so and the, the list keeps growing. So, um, all that say, like, I agree the quality of life in Bloomington is, is at one point I would have begged to get out when I was in my younger years, but at this point, like with the family and now seeing the town develop as, as much as it has, um, it's, it's a really fantastic place to be. So we're going to play off of that a little bit more. And if, uh, we'll start with Ryan, if you could describe like your perfect day, uh, here in Bloomington normal, what that would look like. 
Well, I'll, I'll describe a day that actually occurred a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, and so it was a Saturday morning uh, where my wife and I decided that we were going to do a uh, bakery tour of Bloomington Normal. Wow. Mm. And, and go and test out all the cinnamon rolls that are made at the different local bakeries. Um, and so we started out early. We took both of our kids. We had a couple of boys. They, they got really bored. Uh, but we were having the time. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're stopping and, and getting, you know, cinnamon rolls, donuts, all this other stuff. And, and we were keeping kind of track and ranking them. And, uh, you know, we started out at Grove Street Bakery, went to Ivy Lane, then went to Sugar Mama's and then uh, Denny's, which is a classic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Denny's Donuts, not Denny's. The rest. I was going to say, I didn't yeah. know Denny's made us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Denny's Donuts. Interesting and, choice to throw in there. And it, it, it was just fun. I mean, it was it was just a really, really nice, beautiful morning. And, you know, kind of just it was so easy to get around. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and at the same time, you know, you have some places that you know, are a little different. They've got their own flavor, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, and and it was just a lot of fun. And and we were just both talking about, you know, if you're up in Chicago, if you're up in, you know, another city, you really can't do that. No. You know, you, you you can't do that in an hour or, or whatever. Um, and so anyway, that 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 actually was kind of like a perfect day. I mean, it was it was, it was something that, you know, you can do that's unique and fun here. Right. So that's my that's my idea. Very cool. Day. I do have to give a shout out because actually over the weekend, um, we took the girls to Coffee Hound and one of them got a cinnamon roll. And then I saw the size of it and I was like, holy cow, like we could all four of us split that. That's how big theirs were. How about you, John? Well, I, can I ask Ryan? Who, are you allowed to tell us who oh, won? Oh, yeah. yeah. Who won? Say who won? Oh, they all were great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny because my wife kept on saying, what's what's number one? What's your number one pick? I'm like, ah, they're all great. I'll eat them all. I'll good, eat them good all. to know. I, yeah. We got uh, my son's, for my son's birthday, we ordered the Ivy Lane cinnamon rolls yep. for him. And honestly, like, I thought that was a fantastic cinnamon roll. They weighed about eight pounds each, but they were really good. Uh, my perfect day. So, uh, I'm a golfer. So, oh, you know, I think what's interesting about Bloomington to plug us again here for a second yeah. is the number of golf courses that are fantastic in Bloomington. So um, we are, are uh, fortunate enough to be members over at Crestwood Country Club. So okay. uh, I'll say my perfect day probably starts with an early morning round. I like to get out early, early. Um, I have two little kids. So the earlier I can get out, the sooner I can get home, generally the better. Mm. Uh, so I'll, I'll start my day with a little round of golf. Um, after that, the kids' activities. So I have two young boys, a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old, um, and they're heavily engaged in all the activities we have here in Bloomington between hockey, soccer, baseball, golf. I mean, you name it. There, mm -hmm. There's all that stuff going on here. So um, I love coaching them. So generally, I'll say what my perfect day would be watching a couple of the games of the boys. Um, baseball, ideally, probably, maybe, if we're talking <laughs> summer hot weather. Um, and then uh, going out to eat. Uh, my wife and I are, are big uh, you know, foodies. I don't know if that's a cool word anymore, but uh, big into the eating out in restaurants and whatnot. So, um, you know, to Ryan's point, the the mum, number of restaurants in this town is fantastic and the, the variety mm -hmm. um you know i don't even know if i'd be able to pick one specifically but uh you know it's, it's easy to grab some food somewhere in town that's just you know over the top so sure that, that would probably wrap it up where's your favorite park to watch your watch your kids play uh baseball wise so uh we were through the game seven association for a while so we were over at eastview watching that at the pony complex over off of uh, ireland grove it's mm -hmm. just i mean they win awards <laughs> it's it's a great facility but yeah pretty much anywhere i mean we go to the, our park over by our house at fox creek and just play there I, just, I love playing baseball with the boys so that's probably uh you know anywhere and everywhere nice yeah quality of place is something that we always refer everyone here's quality of life 
So in economic development, it's all about quality of place because that's something that we can influence whenever we go to our trips to D.C., which uh, Ryan's been a part of. And we meet with our elected to say, hey, we've got some really cool projects. We can bring some dollars back, make that investment in the quality of place. And that's what matters to our workforce and the workforce matters to our employers. Um, And also speaking of the golf courses, Nick and I actually had a prospect in town. It was a while ago and we're driving around. He saw a golf course and he saw another one. And he's like, how many courses do you guys have here? And I was like, at least seven public. And he called me a liar. And I was like, no. (laughs) He was like, don't you only have 171,000 people? And I was like, yeah, we have a lot of golfers. And so to have seven public courses um, for a community our size is kind of unheard of. So it's one of those hidden gems. Well, the Den, we live over by the Den Golf Course on the south side of town. And I think what's awesome is the amount of play that gets uh, with the the high schools and whatnot. So, you know, I would say the IHS, like state tournament championship that happens down there, I love love that and the boys and i will go out and, and walk the course and watch the golfers play so that's such a fun course to play yeah no, I've, I've not played that one yet nick and i our home course is co- so close to the office is isu's um, we always have to let the college players go by because they destroy <laughs> us <laughs> yeah, they're too they can hit the ball way too far um, but yeah that's one of our favorites and one of the things i didn't ask in the beginning though um, fun facts what's a fun fact about yourself ryan well, so I'll, I'll tie this into work, actually. Um, so a couple of years ago, I actually had the opportunity to go out and testify in front of Congress about automated vehicles, the wow. issues that we're talking about today. Uh, but but I think the real fun part about it is um, got a call on a Friday to say, ask, would you be able to come and testify in, in front of Congress because the, the staffers had invited um, another company that shall remain nameless <laughs> to do that. And they just didn't feel that the testimony was going to deliver, uh, you know, what they wanted out of the hearing. And so the issue being that I think the hearing was on a Tuesday. So it's the Friday before it's, you know, how do you get your, your travel? How do you get all the information together? There's a lot of procedures associated with it. But to me, it was a really, really fun experience because we were able to initiate a process where it's, you know, I'm working with John's team about, Hey, you know, we need to put this testimony together. We need to get this information in there. We need to build out some data. Uh, We have a team out in Washington, DC, who are able to handle some of the procedural stuff. Um, And then, you know, actually get out there and do that. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was just such a fun experience, not so much for the fact that you get, you know, or testifying or whatever, but fun from the perspective of we were able to pull something pretty, pretty, you know, difficult off in a very, very quick period of time. And, and again, I mean, to get back to what I was saying earlier, I mean, I, I can't imagine many places where you would be in that position to do something like that. Uh, but I always think that that's kind of a fun fact because again, it's, you know, at State Farm, how often do you think, you know, people are gonna be doing something like that when, it, when it, it's, it's something that does happen? Right. Yeah, I may go uh, go the opposite direction outside of work. <laughs> uh, so uh, I mentioned my wife earlier. She uh, she comes from a big Italian family, so they've been making homemade wine for like twenty five years. So oh, that's like that's cool. my kind of fun fact that I always share with people is as we go through the whole process of of making wine every year, we fly in the grapes from California, do the press, the fermentation, and all that other good stuff. So, uh, but I, I'll I'll kind of tie that into the Bloomington connection. Uh, the the kind of the home brewing and even the yeah. brewery situation here in Bloomington. So I'm not going to say we're we're huge drinkers, but you know we, <laughs> we enjoy a drink every now and then. Sure, and, sure. and so um, it's been super fun, you know, seeing the the different breweries. The one in Uptown Normal, I can't recall the name of it right now, but the the Dupido owner guys are, are yeah, the Fiala brothers. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. they're in the process of building one, so I'm super excited about that one. But you know, between Little Beaver and White Oak and Distill, mm-hmm. and you know, it's in Keg Grove, it's. It's been fantastic just kind of seeing that evolution of, again, yet another place to go and hang out and have fun. And it's it's yeah. So 
that's kind of the, that's my interesting little tidbit there. Nice. And for us, uh, those breweries are actually twofold because technically they're manufacturers. So they're base employers, but they also contribute to the quality of place. So, yeah, it's one of those that we try to explain to people, especially with uh, the Fiala brothers um, coming into Uptown. The more of those you have, you have an opportunity for brew tours, which is huge for tourism. And so we're, we're all about, you know, taking care of the people that are here, but we love outside money. So people <laughs> that come in town over the weekends and spend their dollars, more than happy uh, to take those because that goes right back into infrastructure to help out with safety. So full circle. Yeah, I think what's it's cool about that is it's almost like we're becoming a, maybe a destination for some of that. I mean, Distill and their huge brew house yeah, on absolutely. the north side of town. Yes. And then, you know, there's a bunch of great places. I mean, um, Little Beavers, I think one of my favorites and that new beer garden they built out there is a really great place to hang out. Yeah, no, I definitely. Uh, so one, especially having a board member on here, we always like to close the show um, because you talk to a lot of people out in the public and I mean, listeners involved, they're always questioning like what is economic development and why does it matter? Um, so especially with a board member here, could you explain um, like your interpretation of economic development and why it matters to our community? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, having grown up here, um, economic development to me, I, I really kind of define it as, you know, investment in the community, right? And, and that's people from the outside, but it's also people here. Um, and so you've seen State Farm uh, invest a lot in the community over the last few years um, in all the different corporate facilities. Uh, but it's it's exciting, too, to see, you know, when Mitsubishi leaves, for example, then Rivian comes in mm -hmm. um, and invests in the community. And, you know, to me, it's, you know, just in, and I really like quality of place, right? I, I, you know, we do talk about quality of life a lot, but, you know, being able to invest in your community so that there's so much to do, there's so many different opportunities and it makes it something where, you know, I'm hopeful for somebody that's in my shoes, uh, you know, that's thinking about, for example, going to law school instead of saying, Hey, you know what? I want to get as far away from here as possible because that's where the opportunities are. Right. You know, I really hope that somebody in my, in my shoes would be able to say, you know what, I actually want to stay here mm -hmm. and, and I want to invest in this community, you know, open up my own law firm, do whatever, but but stay here and, and you know, make that commitment to making this a better place because there are so many different opportunities here. And so when I think of economic development, that's what I think about it. Nice. Yeah, that was one where um, the short term of economic development is leave it better than you found it. I mean, that's, that's one of the best ways. So having that investment and also... I wanted to let everybody know, um, listening at home, that our economic development enterprise zone actually just hit $100 million this year. So the investment's definitely coming. A lot of that's Rivian, but there's so many projects and more in the pipeline. Um, so it's been a fantastic year for us. Awesome. I mean, that's that's it, though. I mean, there, there's so much to cover. We can dive into a lot of these topics. Uh, this has been fantastic. So again, thanks for uh, having us here and taking a look under the hood at State Farm and what you guys are doing out here and um, really taking care of our customers. So uh, Ryan and John, thanks a bunch. Yeah, awesome. thank, yeah, thank you guys very much for having us. Really appreciate it. Yep, thank you. Hi, this is Becky at your BNEDC with upcoming events. Friday, October 23rd is Classic Cars and Candy Bars at Miller Park Zoo, 3 to 5 p.m. Also, the Spooktacular at the zoo is Friday and Saturday, 5 to 8 p.m. and Sunday, 11 to 3.30 Saturday, October 24th is Downtown Bloomington's Farmer's Market, 7.30 to noon. And the STEAM Challenge Workshop is 1 to 3 p.m. at the Children's Discovery Museum. Sunday, October 25th, Brushville Unplugged is at Mackinac Valley Vineyard, 1 to 4 p.m. 
See our show notes or visit bnbiz.org for more details. Hope to see you there. Tune in next week as we continue to take an inside look at Bloomington Normal's economic development with industry pros, local businesses, and community partners, and learn more about our BN Advantage.